Before delving into the intricacies of the Spanish Inquisition, it is essential to lay the groundwork by examining the historical foundations of anti-Semitism. This exploration is crucial because the essential purpose for the Spanish Inquisition's existence lied in its dealings with the converted Jews of the time. To comprehend the significance of the Spanish Inquisition and its impact on converted Jews, one must first grasp the broader context of anti-Semitism. This term encapsulates a deep-seated hostility and prejudice directed towards the Jewish people, and its roots run deep in the annals of history. The events that transpired during the Holocaust, for instance, cannot be fully understood without first acknowledging the historical origins of anti-Semitism. You're listening to Empires, Anarchy, and Other Notable Moments, a podcast designed for deep dives that assist in the teaching of history. This is the first of five episodes in our series on the Spanish Inquisition. Episode number one, The Historical Roots of Anti-Semitism. Interestingly, the term anti-Semitism itself is a relatively recent addition to the lexicon. Coined by the German journalist Wilhelm Marr in 1879, he introduced it to encapsulate the growing wave of hatred directed towards Jews. However, despite its recent coinage, the sentiment and manifestations of anti-Semitism trace back through the corridors of time earning it the designation of history's oldest hatred. As we unravel the layers of history, it becomes evident that anti-Semitism is not merely a modern-day phenomenon, but a deeply ingrained facet of human history. Throughout their incredible history, the Jewish people have stood out prominently, and this distinctiveness can be attributed to their steadfast refusal to conform to the norms of the local societies they found themselves in. Unlike other communities, the Jews were resolute in preserving their unique cultural identity, a decision that extended to both their cultural social traditions as well as their religious beliefs. The religious aspect in particular is relatively straightforward to elucidate. At the core of their faith lies a distinctive feature, monotheism, the belief in a single, omnipotent deity. This principle is deeply embedded in the Hebrew Bible, or Torah, which recounts the extensive period during which the Israelites lived in Egypt and endured enslavement. The origins of their migration to Egypt are often attributed to the escalating violence inflicted upon them by the Babylonians and the Assyrians. According to the Jewish Virtual Library, the enslavement of the Jewish people in Egypt is dated to 1429 BCE. Although I find it essential to acknowledge that the Jewish community had resided there as free citizens of the Nile Delta for a significant duration before their subjugation. The biblical narrative provided in Exodus provides a concise summary of this period. For roughly four centuries, the Jewish people endured enslavement in Egypt. 
The Old Testament recounts this tumultuous chapter with vivid drama, narrating ten plagues that culminated in the death of all Egyptian firstborns. The climax of this gripping tale is the miraculous escape orchestrated by God, manifested through the dramatic parting of the Red Sea. The Exodus narrative stands as a testament to the resilience of the Jewish people and their unwavering faith in the face of adversity. In the midst of the harrowing escape from Egypt, Moses, the central figure in this biblical narrative, enters into a binding covenant with God on behalf of the Israelites. This pivotal moment transpires following a profound encounter where God manifests through a burning bush. From the sacred Mount Sinai, Moses descends, bearing two tablets inscribed with the Ten Commandments. These commandments, including imperatives such as honoring parents, refraining from murder, theft, and bearing false witness, established a moral code for the Israelites. Of particular significance for our discussion today is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods but me, a proclamation that solidifies the foundation of monotheism, the belief in only one God. However, it is imperative to place the story within its contextual framework. The Old Testament, while a cornerstone of religious scripture, poses challenges for historians that seek an objective historical account. Laden with miraculous events and unverifiable elements, such as the extraordinary longevity of figures like Abraham, it becomes a complex tapestry to navigate. Historians grapple with the dilemma of omitting elements that cannot be empirically proven or explained, a predicament that often excludes the divine. This practice is not unique to the Old Testament. Even texts like Homer's Iliad, operating more as fictional myth than a historical record of the fall of Troy, face similar scrutiny. In light of these considerations, the Old Testament is perhaps more aptly described as Jewish memory rather than Jewish history. It serves as a repository of collective experiences, a narrative handed down through generations. The resettlement of the Jewish people after the Exodus, a 40-year journey, becomes a tale woven into their shared history. Moses, the leader who guided them through this tumultuous period, tragically does not witness the realization of the Promised Land. During their arduous travels, the shared history of multiple enslaved generations spanning over a millennium according to the Torah remains a poignant backdrop. Amidst their struggles, the story that echoes most loudly is that of Moses' covenant with God, a two-sided agreement where God promises deliverance from slavery in exchange for the Jewish commitment to the Ten Commandments, with the foremost commandment emphasizing the exclusive worship of one God. This covenant becomes a linchpin in the collective memory of the Jewish people, a covenant forged in adversity and resilience. The return to the so-called Promised Land unfolded during the reign of Cyrus the Great, a period marked by a pragmatic approach to governance. Cyrus exhibited a remarkable indifference to the religious or cultural affiliations of his subjects, demanding only the payment of taxes to sustain the Persian Empire. 
this era laid the groundwork for the joint kingdoms of Israel and Judea, characterized by a complex interplay of political and cultural dynamics. Within this convergence, two distinct schools of thought emerged regarding the reigns of David and Solomon. One perspective posits a peaceful assimilation of diverse residents into the Jewish kingdom, while another suggests a more tumultuous history of violent conquests. This in part was driven by a desire to safeguard against the influence of polytheistic practices that could potentially compromise the covenant made with God. However, as the historical narrative unfolds, it begins to crystallize for Western minds with the conquest of the kingdoms by the Roman Empire in 63 BC. What makes the Jewish faith particularly challenging to comprehend is the vast expanse of time it spans. The Romans, who controlled the region for roughly 400 years, provide a stark contrast to the relatively shorter history of many modern nations, including the United States, which is celebrating its 244th year in existence in 2020. Roman rule in the land of Israel was marked by brutality, reaching its zenith with the destruction of the temple, a pivotal event signaling a seismic shift in the way of life for Israeli Jews. This cataclysmic moment marked the beginning of the Diaspora period, with Jewish communities dispersing from the Middle East. Notably, a significant number sought refuge in Europe, with half settling in Northern Europe and the other half in the region that holds particular relevance to our narrative, the Iberian Peninsula. During this time period, both areas remained largely under Roman dominance, and the Jewish people faced active persecution. The Caesars, having ascended to godhood after Julius mandated their worship as a legal requirement, put Jewish individuals into a dilemma, where obedience to the law would entail a violation of the first commandment. Many Jews found themselves subsequently enslaved, contributing, among other endeavors, to the construction of the Colosseum, an ironic manifestation of their forced labor in the service of the very empire that oppressed them. While the Emperor Nero infamously blamed the Great Fire on the Christians due to their perceived failure to worship the right God, it is worthwhile to note that Christianity hadn't yet taken off. The Christians at this point that were being blamed were regarded by the Emperor as a sect of Jewish fanatics who were just referred to as Christians. Their ability to be blamed anytime something went wrong exemplified the pervasive sense of otherness imposed upon the Jewish people wherever they went. In this tumultuous period of history, Jews found themselves constantly as visible outsiders, grappling with persecution and navigating a complex web of cultural and religious dynamics. The enduring saga of Jewish history, marked by profound suffering, is a unique and compelling narrative that raises questions about the reasons behind such persistent adversity. Since the crushing of Judea by the Roman Empire, the Jewish people have found themselves lacking the fundamental elements essential for establishing national security, namely territory, sovereignty, 
power, armies, and kings. Instead of a chronicle of conquests, the Jewish historical record up until the establishment of Israel is characterized by a series of expulsions. This distinctive pattern of historical experience has intrigued scholars and thinkers, prompting reflections on the nature of Jewish resilience and survival. The German philosopher George Friedrich Hegel, known for his views on world history as a progressive revelation of the spirit, offered a perspective on the role of civilizations in shaping the broader narrative of human history. According to the philosopher, each civilization contributed its unique elements to this unfolding story. But when a society inevitably crumbled, it was consigned to the annals of history. For Hegel, the historical function of Judaism seemed to conclude once its values had been universalized by Christianity. He envisioned the destruction of the Temple of Zion and the scattering of the God-serving nation as the end of Judaism's historical role. This perspective begs the question, what explained the Jewish refusal to fade into history? The persistent survival and resilience of the Jewish people challenge Hegel's framework and offer a fascinating avenue for historical inquiry. The refusal of Judaism to succumb to historical oblivion suggests a deeper complexity in the interplay of culture, identity, and faith. The study of Jewish history becomes a profound exploration of the factors that have allowed this ancient people to endure, adapt, and maintain their distinct identity against considerable odds. A crucial aspect of that enduring Jewish story lies in the shared and robust cultural relationships that the Jewish people cultivated among themselves. While constituting a minority in various European communities, Jews found each other and established close-knit communities. Amidst their engagement with local cultures, they steadfastly retained their unique cultural identity. For instance, German Jews, while adept in speaking German, maintained a strong connection to their roots by also conversing in Hebrew and Yiddish within their communities. Yiddish, a linguistic blend of several modern languages in a German dialect, became a distinctive marker of Jewish identity. Jews were easily recognizable not only for their ethnicity, but also through religious identifiers, like the kippah, or the skullcap worn by many Jews as a constant reminder of God's presence above them. The visible nature of these religious symbols set the Jewish community apart making them easily identifiable. Their neighborhoods became vibrant hubs during various colorful festivals that the community proudly celebrated. These events not only served as occasions for communal joy, but also reinforced a shared cultural heritage among their people. While these communities were inclusive and engaged with their surroundings, there were aspects of Jewish life that remained elusive to the local population, Practices such as kosher eating, which dictated not only the type of food consumed, but also how it was prepared, exemplified a set of traditions that set Jews apart. The commitment to these practices was not an intentional distancing from society, but rather a reflection of practical decision driven by the need to be around other Hebrew speakers, near places of their worship, 
and in proximity to businesses that adhered to their dietary requirements. In essence, the tendency of Jewish people to cluster together was not a deliberate isolation from the broader society, but a practical choice that facilitated communal bonds, shared traditions, and a connection to their religious and cultural heritage. The somewhat meandering historical journey that I'm leading you on serves to illuminate one of the fundamental reasons behind the existence and persistence of anti-Semitism, the remarkable and proud preservation of their distinct cultural identity. In the midst of being a minority across various societies, Jews stood out not only due to their differences, but also because they took pride in maintaining a culture that diverged from the majority. This visibility of distinctiveness became a double-edged sword during times of adversity. Historically, when societies faced challenges, such as the Great Fire in the city of Rome or the medieval Black Plague, groups perceived as others were often scapegoated and blamed. Tragically, the Jewish people were not exempt from the scapegoating, finding themselves unjustly accused during such crises. Regrettably, this tendency to blame the other for societal problems persists even in contemporary times. The diaspora further exacerbated the challenges faced by the Jewish community. Until the recreation of the State of Israel post-World War II, there was no place where the Jewish people could function as a majority within a country. This absence of a homeland meant that when they were scapegoated or blamed, there was no nation-state that could come to their protection. The lack of a centralized authority made Jewish communities vulnerable to persecution and discrimination, amplifying the impact of anti-Semitism throughout history. The reestablishment of Israel marked a transformative moment, providing the Jewish people with a sovereign state and a means of protection against historical injustices. The second overarching reason for the persistence of anti-Semitism lies in medieval Christianity, where certain individuals within the Christian community, including influential figures within the church hierarchy, held and unfortunately still hold prejudiced views. During the Middle Ages, some of these individuals occupied prominent positions within the church. Contemporary Christianity often emphasizes themes of love and compassion, while medieval Christianity focuses on particular gospel passion verses that tend to depict the trial of Jesus at the hands of Pontius Pilate, a Roman judge. This focus on select biblical passages had significant consequences in shaping attitudes towards the Jewish people. One such passage, notably found in the Gospel of Matthew, describes Pontius Pilate declaring Jesus innocent and expressing a desire to free him. However, the crowd, which is portrayed as Jewish, vehemently opposes this decision, ultimately choosing to release a criminal instead. Pilate, in a symbolic gesture, washes his hands in front of the crowd, proclaiming his innocence of what's about to happen 
and placing the responsibility for Jesus' fate on them. The crowd, in a particularly troubling passage, agrees to bear the burden of Jesus' death, chanting, His blood be on us and on our children. This passage, unique to the Gospel of Matthew, has had lasting repercussions and can be especially discomforting for many modern Christians. It stands out not only for its historical impact, but also because it does not align with the compassion and inclusive values that many contemporary Christian denominations espouse. It also served to set loose a so-called blood curse against the Jewish people. This curse unfortunately found resonance among influential figures in the Christian church, perpetuating a legacy of anti-Semitism. The quotes I'm about to say are quite harsh, but it's important to dig deep into the causes of anti-Semitism. Martin Luther, a figure of immense influence in the Protestant Reformation, once declared that, No Christians that next to the devil thou hast no enemy more cruel, more venomous, and violent than a true Jew. Luther's words underscore the depth of animosity harbored by some Christian leaders against the Jewish community. Likewise, the sentiments of St. Augustine, considered a father of the church, further fueled anti-Semitic beliefs. He asserted that the true image of the Hebrew is Judas Iscarot, who sells the Lord for silver. The Jew can never understand the scriptures and forever will bear the guilt for the death of Jesus. These words emanating from a revered figure within the church contributed to a prejudiced view of the Jewish people. Founding fathers of the church, such as St. Christendom, and St. Ambrose of Milan went beyond theological differences to advocate for Jewish persecution. The bishop with the golden tongue propagated the hateful teachings, saying that the Jews are the most worthless of all men. They are lecherous, greedy, rapists. They are perfidious murderers of Christ. The Jews must live in servitude forever. God always hated the Jews. It is incumbent upon all Christians to hate the Jews. These words would go on to echo throughout the centuries, contributing to a modern-day climate of hostility against the Jewish people. The desire for vengeance portrayed in certain biblical passages contradicts the fundamental teachings of the Church which emphasized that Jesus came to earth to die as foretold by God, which happened at a predetermined time. In this narrative, Pontius Pilate and the crowd are seen as playing their designated roles. However, this interpretation completely overlooks the historical record of Pontius Pilate as one of the most ruthless judges in human history. And there's evidence contrary to this account. Some biblical scholars even posit that Matthew, the author of this gospel, may have held anti-Semitic views himself and tailored his narrative to suit local geopolitics. Consider the fate of the disciples at that moment. 
witnessing their Lord and Messiah being crucified for claiming to be king of the Jews. Living in the Roman Empire, where sacrilege was punishable by death, may have led Matthew to strategically avoid portraying a powerful Roman leader as the villain of the story. The question arises, why would church leaders seemingly target the Jews, with whom they share common beginnings? One possible answer lies in the validation of the church's teachings. The Old Testament designates the Jews as God's chosen people, and Christianity views itself as the fulfillment of the first covenant. The suffering of the Jews in the eyes of some Christians became proof that their failure to accept Jesus as the Savior had invoked God's wrath against them. This perception reinforced the Christians' belief that they, as the new chosen ones, were on the right path. In the Middle Ages, when both Christians and Jews suffered, Christians often attributed their hardships to the Jews living among them, fueling unfounded accusations, such as the one that the Jews were poisoning the wells during the Black Plague. Pope Benedict XVI, a more conservative figure among recent Catholic popes, unequivocally stated that there is no basis in scripture or history holding the Jewish people responsible for the death of Jesus. However, this disavowal only became part of Catholic doctrine in 1965, far too late to prevent the massacres inflicted on Jews due to teachings from influential figures like Martin Luther. Luther's words, labeling Jews as idle, lazy people and advocating for violent actions against them, exemplified the dangerous and enduring impact of such harmful rhetoric. The acknowledgement by Pope Benedict reflects a modern perspective that strives to disentangle the church from historical prejudice and pave the way for understanding and reconciliation. The third reason for the entrenchment of anti-Semitism throughout history lies in stereotypes and conspiracy theories perpetuated around money. The movie Vanilla Sky captures the sentiment that the answer to 99 out of 100 questions is money. Many contemporary conspiracy theories and stereotypes about the Jewish population are rooted in medieval Christianity giving rise to inappropriate generalizations such as Jews being universally wealthy or subsequently cheap. These stereotypes often overlook the historical reasons for the economic roles played by Jewish communities. The Jewish faith places a significant emphasis on studying spiritual texts like the Torah and the Talmud. To fulfill this aspect of their faith, education becomes crucial. In medieval times, when literacy was a scarce skill, Jewish men and women became valuable workers in urban settings, engaging in white-collar jobs that required literacy. Unlike working in agriculture, where Jews were less prevalent since 900 AD, their comparative advantage in reading and writing made them well-suited for roles in finance. Professor Maristella Bodicini explains that Jews excelled in finance due to their possession of key assets, capital accumulated through crafts and trade, 
literacy and education stemming from their unique religious focus, contract enforcement institutions like the Talmud and rabbinical courts, and networking abilities that provided a comparative advantage in money lending, banking, and finance. Meanwhile, the Christian Church's prohibition on usury, which means charging interest in the 12th and 13th centuries, created an environment where Jews, unaffected by this restriction, became the primary lenders. Biblical verses such as Exodus 22:25, Deuteronomy 23 lines 19 and 20, and Luke 6:35 justified the ban on charging interest for Christians. The absence of a reward for Christian bankers, combined with the lack of Muslims in Christian Europe during that time, meant that Jewish people became the primary money lenders, as they were the only ones able to shoulder the risk by enjoying the rewards associated with charging interest. This historical context underscores the complexity of economic roles and the emergence of stereotypes that unfortunately contributed to the perpetuation of anti-Semitic beliefs. The association of Jews with finance, fueled by restrictive Christian policies, became a source of misunderstanding and prejudice throughout history. The consequences of the prohibition on usury had two divergent impacts on the Jewish population. On the positive side, kings and queens who required access to credit turned to Jewish moneylenders. In an era where tax collection was not as developed as it is today, and monarchs were not as wealthy as commonly perceived, Jews were willing to lend money to the crown without pushing too hard for speedy repayment. This generosity earned them favored positions near the court, and they received favors that could be called upon in times of trouble. However, this positive association eventually led to the 20th century stereotype of Jews supposedly controlling world affairs and influencing major events, including choosing winners and losers in World War I based on their close proximity to Europe's kings and queens. While the monarchs enjoyed lenient repayment terms, the same could not be said for the rest of the kingdom. Money lenders, including Jewish lenders, were often unforgiving in demanding prompt repayment on small and medium loans. Though usury charges were capped in Christian kingdoms, creating a ceiling on expected returns, competition among businesses allowed Christians to seek the best rates. Despite the regulated environment, money lenders were stern in their insistence on timely repayments. Jews became so accustomed to collecting repayments that many were employed as tax collectors for the crown. The dynamics of debt and repayment are universal, and individuals facing financial difficulties often plead with banks for leniency, propose future payment plans, or seek additional loans, only to face rejection due to being perceived as risky investments. In such situations, blame tends to be directed externally, and stereotypes such as being greedy and rich come into play. The ability of Jews to lend money and their perceived insistence on quick repayment fueled stereotypes that unfortunately persisted through history. 
contributing to the negative portrayal of Jewish communities in relation to finance. Iconic literary figures like Shakespeare's Shylock, a Jewish moneylender extracting a pound of flesh from a debtor, have perpetuated a sinister undertone of greed and exploitation in Jewish financial dealings. This caricature has been invoked to justify anti-Jewish measures for centuries. Meanwhile, the notion of supposed Jewish control of the global financial system, known as economic anti-Semitism, became a major theme in Hitler's persecution of European Jews, Father Coughlin's anti-Semitic rants in the United States, and the infamous forgery, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Related slurs claim that Jews prioritize material goods, profit, and exploit their economic advantages to benefit their own people at the expense of the public good. These ideas have permeated the general public, as studies by the Anti-Defamation League show substantial percentages of respondents in various countries believing that Jews have too much power in business and international financial markets. Even in countries like France, Germany, and the United States, a significant portion of the population holds such views. Now, not all references to Jewish financial prowess are malicious, and some are even admiring. In China, for example, a publishing trend has emerged, with books claiming to reveal the secrets to wealth that are found in the ancient Jewish texts. However, these positive references do not negate the harmful stereotypes that persist, and oftentimes only serve to reinforce them. Stereotypes surrounding Jewish wealth are not rational, as they simultaneously depict Jews as grotesquely wealthy capitalist figures and hopelessly devious beggars leeching off of society. The complexity of these stereotypes is evident in historical instances, such as an entry from the 1933 Oxford English Dictionary, listing one of the definitions of the word Jew as to cheat. Even modern art attempts to get in on the hate bandwagon with Rembrandt's 1629 work titled Judas Returning the 30 Pieces of Silver. That relatively calm portrayal of anti-Semitism is nothing compared to the 1944 Italian poster The Way of the Red Sea is a Way of Blood, which depicts an infinite line of grinning Jewish bankers carrying money bags past dead World War I soldiers. This is all despite the fact that the biblical perspective on lending, as expressed in Exodus 22, lines 25-27, As we navigate the intricate tapestry of history, our exploration of the roots of anti-Semitism has unraveled a complex narrative, with economic stereotypes about Jewish people at its core. From medieval financial restrictions to Shakespearean caricatures, these stereotypes have wielded a profound influence, shaping both admiration and prejudice towards Jewish communities. In our quest for understanding, we've delved into the paradoxical nature of these stereotypes. On one hand, there's a recognition of Jewish financial prowess, while on the other, we find the persistence of harmful misconceptions, 
perpetuating discriminatory beliefs throughout history. As we contemplate the implications of these narratives, it's vital to acknowledge the irrationality that underlies them and the real-world consequences they've spawned. The association of Jews with economic success has been a double-edged sword, contributing to both positive and negative outcomes. In our attempts to move forward, we must take the crucial steps of fostering awareness, challenging stereotypes, and embracing open dialogue. By unraveling misconceptions and promoting a more nuanced understanding of Jewish history and culture, we can actively contribute to dismantling prejudices. Thank you for embarking on this insightful journey with us. We trust that this exploration has not only shed light on the historical roots of anti-Semitism, but has also sparked contemplation about the importance of dispelling stereotypes for a more compassionate and unified world. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to interact with the show, you can email us at resourcesbylowry at gmail.com. If you would like to financially support the show, please look in the show description for more information. As always, thank you for listening, rating the show, and spreading the word.